How you guys doing today? Yeah, good, good. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Corey Schmittelkofer. My wife Erin and I lead the young adult ministry here at Change Point. Um, I just want to start by saying that it's been such a huge blessing um, to be a part of this ministry and to see what God is doing in the young adults here at Change Point and also the young adults in our city. Um, I'm so blessed and in awe that that God would entrust me with the opportunity to be a part of that community. Um, and over the last eight weeks here at Change Point, we've been in a series titled uh, What We Believe. And um, it's so important as a church that we would come together uh, and that we're united in what we believe. Because the more that, that we understand who God is and, and, and the, the, the amazing love in which he loved us, um, the greater that we'll be able to worship him together as a church. And so I don't know about you guys, but, um, you know, Lee has a way of doing this. Uh, but the last uh, couple of weeks, he's, he's preached about humanity and salvation. And, and I realize whenever Lee preaches, and I, and I realize through these messages, uh, so much my, my need for the Lord is a, is a daily pursuit. Um, it's not just uh, a door that I walked through. You know, the grace of God was not just some door that I walked through and then, and then the rest was up to me, but that we need his grace daily. Um, and I think that even more so, um, as, as Lee was preaching, he made this statement last week, and um, as much as I've heard this statement, the way he said it, it struck me a little bit different, but this is what he said. He said that Christianity is going to cost you everything that you thought was important. That Christianity is going to cost you everything that you thought was important. Um, and when he said that, it really hit me, um, not as I thought about my own life, you know, because the Lord Jesus said himself, he says that he, will tr he who tries to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will save it. And so when Lee says that, that, that Christianity um, will cause you to lose everything you thought was important, this is a huge gift and a huge blessing. Um, but what really struck me is when he said that, I thought to myself, you know what this really means? This, this reminds me and this helps me to realize how much that I need you. How much that we need each other in this. Um, and so I asked the question, you know, why do we need the church? Um, because we, we, we need one another because Christianity was never meant to be done in the, in the context of individuality. It was meant to be done in the context of relationship, and, and Christ knew this. Um, he knew this. He knew that following him would be the hardest thing that we ever did, and that's why the church was so important to him. That's why Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, I will build my church, because he knew that we would need one another. He knew that, that salvation and Christianity and life could not be obtained outside of the context of a community. And so I asked the question, what is the church? And what does the church do? What is our function as the church? And so this week we're going to look at, at what we believe about the church. And so I feel it very fitting to use Acts chapter 2 as kind of a, a template to the foundations of the church See, before all the twisting of the truth and all the misuses of the Scripture and all the, the disregard for the holiness of God, in Acts chapter 2, 
I feel like we find gospel-centered community at its finest. And so we're going to do something a little different today. Uh, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. So if everybody could just stand up. And the, the verses are going to appear on the screen behind me. And we're going to read this passage together. And so what I don't want to do is I don't want to just read the passage together. Um, I want us to really hear what's being said here. I want us to feel what's being said here. I want us to understand and internalize what's being said here. And so together we're going to read this. Starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And Father, I pray, I pray that you will enlighten us to the importance of your church today. That you will help us grow into deeper relationship with you and one another through this passage. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys could be seated. That was kind of cool. So, this passage begins here by stating that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Pentecost had just taken place. Uh, and so the Spirit of God descends down and fills about 120 disciples of Christ. And, and the disciples begin to speak in tongues. And, and the reason that this happens is so that people who had traveled to Jerusalem from the surrounding nations uh, to support the, uh, the Pentecost feast would be able to understand the gospel in their native tongue. And so among the 120 who, who received the Holy Spirit that day was Peter. And immediately after the Holy Spirit falls on Peter, with boldness he begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the result is that 3,000 people come to faith in one day. Now these new believers, along with the 120, so 3,000 people just come to faith, there's 120 who are already following Christ. These are who devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, this is exceedingly significant. And, and the reason that this is is because the Spirit of God just, he just came down at Pentecost and 3,000 people came to faith. These people had just witnessed great miracles. They had witnessed the hand of God come down, and they witnessed great miracles. And, and so these people, they could have continued to demand signs and miracles and wonders. They could have demanded and expected that their faith was the result of a whole bunch of spiritual experiences. So often it's so easy to, to base all of our theology on our experiences and our feelings. But this was not the case with the early church. You see, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
The believers in the early church were not enjoying some mystical experience. No, they enjoyed the theology of God. They enjoyed studying the scriptures, and they were devoted to that. You see, verse 43 goes on to say, And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Listen, awe and wonders and signs are the result of the gospel being proclaimed. Let me say that again. Awe and wonders and signs are the result of the gospel being proclaimed. You see, the, the church is where the gospel is proclaimed. If it were not for the church, who then would hear the message of Christ? This is, this is what Paul says in Romans 10 when he says, How then will they call on him whom they have never believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And Paul goes on to say that faith comes from hearing, and hearing is through the word of Christ. You see, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the first foundational truth that makes up the structure of the church. That that it would not matter how much work we called ourselves doing without the proclamation of the gospel, there is no faith. And let me explain this. Every single person sitting in this room right now who has professed faith in Christ, your initial faith came as the result of somebody proclaiming the gospel to you. Every single one of us. And so, you see, miracles happen and lives are changed when the gospel is proclaimed and Christ is exalted. And so this is one of the reasons right here that I'm not fully sold on this, like, this romanticized um, statement or phrase that's used in Christendom, right? We hear this all the time where people say, well, let's preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Right? I get it. I understand it. But this does not give us an excuse to not proclaim the gospel. Faith comes from hearing, not from seeing, but from hearing. You see, the church was built on the proclamation of the gospel. The church is sustained by the proclamation of the gospel. And the church will spread to every tribe, nation, and tongue as a result of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the church does. The church proclaims the gospel. And so if you think that the way to share the gospel is only through our good deeds and, and social justice, then all that we're really doing is an encouraging a gospel that is centered around works-based righteousness. And every single one of us knows that the scriptures say that faith is a gift of God. It's not a result of our works. Right? And so a couple of weeks ago, Let's see how this plays out. A couple of weeks ago, every single person sitting in this room, we witnessed over 1,600 people give their lives to Christ at the Luis Palau Love Alaska Festival as the result of what? The teaching of the Scriptures and the proclamation of the Gospel. See, this is what the church does. The church proclaims the Gospel. Can we imagine if Luis Palau would have went up there and he just said, I don't got nothing to say, just follow what I do. The result would have been so much different. You see, this is exactly what Peter does when 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ in one day. If you go before, uh, in Acts chapter 2, he preaches the gospel. He taught the scriptures and he preached the gospel. And 3,000 people came to faith in a day. 
ultimately, the whole vision and mission of the global church starts from the devotion to the scriptures and the heralding of the good news of Jesus Christ. And obviously, this was true of the early church as well. The apostles were committed to one thing, preaching the grace of God extended through the death of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. For it is through the death of Christ that we might be called children of God. And this is what they were devoted to. And so we believe the church has many functions. And hopefully today we're going we're gonna to unpack a few of them. But the church is the central hub for the equipping of the saints and the spreading of the gospel. As the church, we proclaim the gospel because it is through the gospel that lives are changed and God is glorified. So the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And so oftentimes I've heard professing Christians say this. They say, well, I can be a Christian without going to church. Right? Or, or we hear this one. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And this is This is crazy. This is crazy right here. Let me try to explain this in a way that we would understand this better. So, and actually, I took this out of my notes, but I feel like it's so applicable. Um, this would be like a whole bunch of my friends coming over to my house, right? I love Jesus, but I hate the church. A whole bunch of friends come over to my house, and my wife, she's, she devotes all her time to serving the people who come to my house. She serves them the food. She takes care of the children. She loves them. She cleans up the messes. She cleans the dishes. She does the dishes. Then she serves dessert at the end. And, and as everybody's leaving, as everybody's leaving, my friend comes up to me and he goes, Corey, I love you, but I hate your wife. See what I'm saying here? The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. It's, it's not some afterthought of God. The church is not some man-made institution. God's eternal plan is and has always been that he would lavish his grace upon creation through his son Jesus Christ and his church. It's always been his plan. The church is God's means of communicating grace to a fallen world. And so the question is not, can a Christian be a Christian and not go to church? My question is, how could you be a Christian and why would you not go to church? Why would we not be with the people who love God the way that we love God and do this thing together? Right? And so the first mark of the church is that the church proclaims the gospel, while the second mark of the church is that the church shares in fellowship. And it's so important that we come to a, a clear view of what fellowship really is. You see, fellowship is not just gathering together and sprinkling a little Jesus on top of it and calling it fellowship. It's not what fellowship is. Look at verses 44 and 45. It says, And all who believed were together. Let me just stop there real quick. That confirms that, that church is not some afterthought of God. It's not just an option or a choice. It says, All who believed were together. It means as believers, we should be with other believers. Okay, so all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
So the Greek word used here for fellowship is the word koinonia. Um, it's this idea of sharing both in common belief and it's this idea of sharing in possessions. And so in these two passages, we see two things happening here. And it's so important for us as a church to be on the same page with the first one, is that they had all things in common. And so as a church, to be on the same page theologically is extremely important. This is what verse 44 is, is saying. It's not saying that, that we're, on the same, we're, we're all the same in appearance, that as Christians we can't experience our own uniqueness, it's not saying that in order for us to share in fellowship that we have to dress the same and act the same and talk the same and fit into a little Christian box. That's not what this is saying here. The commonness of the church is shared in belief of the fundamental truths of the gospel. That's what commonality is. So why do you think as a church we're spending 12 weeks in a series titled What We Believe? Because the koinonia or the fellowship of the church, is established by sharing in common belief. You see, culture is developed through language. Sharing in fellowship is far more than just meeting together. Sharing in fellowship is about sharing a common bond in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Commonality is not about fitting into the Christian box. It's about knowing what we believe and why we believe it, and even more so, sharing in the joy that comes as a result of the gospel that we believe in. But see, koinonia has a dual meaning. In one sense, it means to share all things in common, as far as beliefs and interests, but in another sense, it means that the church shared in fellowship through the sharing of possessions and resources. Look at verse 45. It says, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is a hard verse, right? This is the kind of verse that we jump over real quick to get to the next verse and avoid the, 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 um, the challenge that this verse poses, right? But we need to look at this a little bit different, deeper. What does it really mean? Uh, does it mean that every single be believer should follow this example literally? Does it mean that we should all sell everything we own and give the proceeds to the poor? Now, surely some Christians throughout church history have, have submitted to this call. Uh, the rich young ruler was called by Jesus to sell all his possessions and give to the poor. and uh, He couldn't do it, but then you know, Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, he, he sells a field and he gives all the proceeds to the apostles so that they can support these new believers. Zacchaeus, he gives half of his fortune to the poor and repays all that he owes fourfold. You see, there was a cost, and, and for the most part, they followed it. Obviously, the rich young ruler didn't, but some of them are called to a, some of us, some people here might be called to a, a vocation of voluntary poverty, and, and this is really meant to bear witness to the rest of us that, that the human life does not consist of the abundance of our possessions but that there are more important things in life than what we own. Nevertheless, the absolute prohibition of possessions is certainly not a Christian doctrine. Okay? So, not everybody in Jerusalem sold and gave away everything. And we kind of see this played out in verse 46, that it says that they met in one another's homes. And so, the next verse 
really proves that not everybody sold everything they own, but that the giving and selling was voluntary. And, and the same should be true today. But, but listen, this does not give us an excuse to avoid the challenges found in this verse. These early Christians loved one another. They cared for one another. They shared their goods. They shared their homes. They cared for those who were in need. You see, this is the kind of church that we want to be. We want to support one another. We want to care for one another. Think of a church that functions in a way like this. A church that functions in a way that, that within the body, that nobody has lack, that everyone is cared for. Think of a church that functions like that. I had the opportunity to see this verse right here fleshed out in my own life this last month. And uh, as, as many of you know, um, the Lord blessed my wife and I, our family, with a son. And, and, you know, it's just been such a huge blessing. But the result was is that uh, we got to see the church family share their possessions with us. We got to see the church family supply things that we were in need of. We got to see the church family bring over more food than we could possibly eat. And we have six children. That's really hard to do. But you guys are generous. Thank you. And I've seen the church supply shelter for the homeless, food for the hungry, jobs for the jobless. Over and over and over again in the church, I've witnessed with my own eyes and been a part of the sharing of possessions with, with people who are in need. And it is a beautiful thing to witness and be a part of. This is what the early church did. This is what we should strive for. Sure, not every believer sold every possession that they had, but we should all ascribe to support, support and care for one another when we're in need. This is what the church does. And you see, this concept is woven all over throughout Scripture, and it cannot be passed over or ignored. A church that is characterized by our devotion to the Scriptures and the proclamation of the Gospel and a church that shares in fellowship. This is what we want to be. An unprecedented, undeniable, gospel-centered community that shares in belief and cares for those in need. So the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. If you look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. It was Jewish custom um, at this time to attend the temple for allotted and specific periods of time devoted to prayer and worship. Um, there was morning prayer, there was afternoon prayer, and there was nightly prayer. And so Peter and John were going to participate uh, in the afternoon time of prayer at the ninth hour, which was literally 3 p.m. And so the reason that this is significant is because the church has two components that serve as a foundation for a healthy church. 
um, we find in this passage a very structured and devoted time for worship and prayer. Where they, they had three times where they would attend the temple together. And we also see the church meeting together in homes for times of fellowship and breaking bread, which likely included both a meal, where they would share their meals together, and a celebration of the Lord's Supper, where they would break bread and they would celebrate what Christ had done in their lives. And so verse 46 says, And day by day attending the temple together for times of prayer, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. As a church, we are to enjoy both the organized and the organic. Organized times of Sunday morning worship, which you see right here, and not neglecting what we're doing right here. Right, where it's, where it's kind of organized and there's a, there's a process to how things goes. Where, you know, we have worship going on up here and there's order to the worship and there's just things that happen and we can't neglect that. And then we also see organic times of free-flowing relational time together. But either way, the point is, is that one cannot exclude or take the place of the other. One cannot exclude or take the place of the other. The church should share in both the organized and the organic times. And this is what we see as the early church shared in times of organic corporate prayer in the temple. And, and then we see the, the church meet in homes to break breads with, bread with one another. You see, there must be a day-by-day -day living out of the gospel. You see, the church was not designed to only be on Sunday mornings. The church in Christianity was meant to be lived out day by day. The church is not confined to these walls right here. Right? The church, the global church is, is happening all over the world right now, and it's not just confined to this church. As a church, we should be gathering together. This is what the church is about. The church exists so that we can do life with each other, sharing the gospel together, Sharing in fellowship together, praying together, raising our children together. Raising our children together. I need help raising my children. Right? I mean, that's important. Raising our children together, just gathering together. All for the purpose of glorifying God and displaying His goodness to the world. We're to do life together. But you see, the American church has adopted this really strange idea of how we do church, right? My, my mother-in-law, she was saying to me the other day, she said, America in the 1800s was devoted to God. America in the 1900s was devoted to the nation. And America in the 2000s is devoted to individualism and self-promotion. See, we all want to embrace the mission of the church, but we falter, falter in our practice because we lack uh, the identity that can inform a more, um, a more effective method. And so the primary identity that we carry as a church, and, and we don't say this, but this is what really happens, is we kind of carry this title of individual missionaries. Right? And so think about this. Most churches come together on Sunday... Uh, we hear an encouraging word from the pastor, and then we get all inspired, and then we 
We get sent out into our natural rhythms of life, trying to make an impact in the workplace, trying to you know, change a neighborhood, failing to disciple our children well. Why? And it's because we've failed to embrace the concept of day-by-day gathering together and doing mission together. We come to church on Sunday and leave as individual missionaries. And then we end up discouraged because our day-to-day life is lived alone rather than together with other members in our covenant community of faith. You see, we fail to live life together. This is where we've fallen short. At times, we resemble very little of what the early church resembled. Day by day, they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, sharing meals together. Day by day, they did life together because they needed one another. It's because they needed one another. Listen, God never intended for us to be individuals on mission. Listen, listen to our mission statement. This is the Change Point mission statement. It says, To make disciples of Christ who enjoy God together, are being transformed together, and demonstrate the heart of Jesus Christ together. You see, there's there's one common theme throughout this mission statement, and that's that we would do all those things together. The three points change, but the, the togetherness doesn't. All of it depends on us doing it together. Christianity needs to be done in the context of community. You see, the reason that we gather together as the church, the reason that we gather together as the church is so that we can scatter together as the church. Look at verse 47. It says, Praising God and having favor with all people, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see, it's out of the natural rhythms of life. It's out of the natural rhythms of a life that is lived praising God that the Lord will naturally add to the number those who are saved. I'm going to say this again because I think it's, it's important. It is out of our natural rhythm of life a life lived praising God, that the Lord will naturally add to our number those who are saved. This is, this is Jesus saying in John 15 that, that he is the vine and we are the branches. That whoever abides in him will bear fruit. You see, it's out of our abiding relationship with Christ that he bears the fruit. It was out of the church's constant pursuit of the praise of God that the Lord naturally added to their number. And so we gather together so that we can scatter together. That's what really happens. That's That's the point of our gathering right here. That's why we're here. We're not here to just consume and just take it in. And if, if you're new here, don't take this the wrong way. We, we love that you're here. We want you to be here. We want to equip you for the ministry so that we can go out. Right? I don't know if any of you have noticed this, but our church building is sitting in a high school. And we're tucked way in the back in the woods. Right? We're not like, you know, an ABT that you can just see this huge building from the street. And people are like, church! 
No, that's not what happens. So the reality is, is that us as a church, if we want to see people saved, which really we do, we have to go out into our community. And going back to the beginning, that doesn't just mean living a life that looks good because that's how people follow Jesus. No, we need to be equipped for the ministry. We need to be devoted to the Scriptures so that when we go out, we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we gather together so that we can scatter together. And the point of all of this gathering is to equip one another for the work of the ministry so that every single one of us would be everyday missionaries. Missionaries for our city. Missionaries who proclaim the gospel in deed and in truth. Missionaries who share with those who are in need. Missionaries who gather together for the glory of God so that we can scatter together for the glory of God. Our vision, this is... This is pretty much Change Point's vision. So I gave you our mission, and here's the vision statement. It doesn't say it word for word, but it's to make disciples who make disciples who want nothing more than to exalt the name of Christ in our city and our state and to the end of the earth. This is our vision, making disciples who make disciples. And so five years ago... Um, a man named Ted Reagans comes into uh, the treatment center where I was at. Uh, I was in treatment for, you know, a various slew of things, but addiction being the main thing. Um, but this man came into the treatment center, and he shared the gospel with me. I mean, he literally shared the gospel with me. and He then began to disciple me. He spent time with me, extended grace to me, and casted vision, and I followed him. Time, grace, vision. This is what disciple-making is about. Time, grace, vision. And I followed him. About six months later, um, is Lee in here? Where's Lee at? Oh, Lee's right here. Okay, good. I, I wanted him to be able to hear this, so I didn't see him out there anywhere. But about a year and a half later, um, uh, you know, no, six months later, Ted introduces me to Lee Hudson. And so began the process of meeting with Lee at the city diner, and he began to disciple me. And, you know, I didn't know how to follow Jesus. Um, with all of my baggage, I didn't know how to follow Jesus. But Lee showed me how to follow Jesus with a whole bunch of baggage. Right? And so uh, I remember sitting there one day thinking, man, Lee has problems like I have problems. Right? Like, and, and he's, he was open with me. He proclaimed the true gospel to me. He shared his life with me. He extended grace, and he casted vision. And in the end, I figured that if Lee Hudson could follow Jesus well, well, then I could probably follow Jesus well. And so Lee just offered an example of what following Christ looked like. And about a year and a half after meeting with Lee, I tell him, Lee, you know, I think I want to go into the ministry. And uh, he kind of looked at me, and he laughed, and he said, I knew this day was coming. And so Dan Lee then introduced me to Dan Gerald. And uh, Dan began to teach me how to teach. But for about the first three months, um, 
I spent my time arguing with Pastor Dan about like Calvinism and theology and, and you know the doctrines of God. and We just argued all the time. And I remember the day I came in and Dan had a big smile on his face because I just spent the whole last week preparing my argument, right? And I sat down and he looked me in the eyes and he says, Corey, I have argued with far greater men than you. And at that moment, our whole conversation shifted, and, and I became the student, right? I became the learner, because if any of you, I mean, Dan is a walking commentary. I would go in and sit down, and he would be like, well, what do you got today? And I'd be like, oh, this passage, and he'd like pull out his Greek Bible. Well, this is what it says, and I'm like, this is just crazy. But anyway, Dan shared his life with me, right? He extended grace and he casted vision. And so all the while, I'm leading the young adult ministry at Baxter Row Bible Church, and, and, and Dan continued to disciple me. For two years, I'm at a completely different church than where Dan is at. He's still discipling me. Uh, ten, about 10 months ago, I walk into his office, and I say, you know, I really feel like I'm supposed to be a, pla- a pastor, and, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm called to plant a church. And, and he said, well, you know, my, time's here, my time here is done as well. So he told me to call Greg, Pastor Greg. He's the pastor here, Change Point, if you don't know Pastor Greg. And so I did. I called Pastor Greg, and I tell him, man, I just, I want to come under your wing. I want you to teach me. I want you to show me how to make disciples. I want you to I want to show, show me how to lead a church. I want, you, I want you to show me how to be a pastor. And Pastor Greg shared his life with me. He extended grace to me, and he casted vision. And so through all the Bible classes and all the schooling and teaching from great men, you know, the last nine months has been the most challenging experience in my life, but it's been the most fruitful. And I thank God for those men. I thank God for those men because those men right there understood the concept of scattering. All of this to say this, that that the church was built on the back of men like those. Men and women who shed their blood, sweat, and tears so that people like you and I could share in the grace of God. That's what the church was built on. This is what we believe about the church, that the church exists so that they might come to faith. The church exists so that the goodness of God might flow through us to the world, right? We receive blessings so that we can be a blessing to others. This is why the church exists. And I say this to you because uh, in order for us to grow as a body of Christ, the goal cannot be to build the church, but it must be to make disciples. And Mike Breen puts it like this. He says, if we try to build the church... We will rarely make disciples, but if we make disciples, we will always get the church. And so I'm going to say this, and and I want you guys to listen to me. Um, If there was anything I said in all of this, I, I say listen to me on this because this was what was most important to me in my life, my entire life, um, as it refers to walking the life, um, that Jesus has called me to walk. If you are sitting in this room right now as a believer in Jesus Christ, 
you should have a man or a woman who is discipling you. I want to make, did everybody get that? You should have a man or a woman who is discipling you. Someone to build you up and teach you how to do what they do better than they do it. Right? Uh, Lee, you could bring your team up. So I guess that the, the real question is, is, is where do we go from here? You know, as a, as a church, um, we need to be devoted to the, the Scriptures. That's why we teach here at ChangePoint, um, for the most part, through books of the Bible, verse by verse, because we're devoted to the Scriptures, because the Scriptures are the authority. We have no authority here as it relates to Christian living. We, we get our authority from the Bible. The Bible is the authoritative and inspired Word of God, and, and it contains everything necessary to live a godly life. You see, over the last 2,000 years, since this passage right here was even penned, many things have changed as it relates to the church. But one thing has not changed, and that is the Word of God. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's never changed. And the reason that the church has changed so much is because the church has stopped devoting itself to the Scriptures. Right? And so, as a church, we devote ourselves to the Scriptures, learning the Scriptures, living the Scriptures, and preaching the Scriptures. As a church, we share in fellowship. We share in common, the common bond of Christ, sharing our possessions with those who are in need, sharing our lives with one another. The scriptures are clear that we are to be of one mind and one soul and one spirit, caring for one another's needs, providing for one another, taking care of those who are lacking. And finally, many times we just gather together to say that we gather. Let us be on mission. The purpose of the gathering church is, is so that we can be a scattering church. Sunday morning is about equipping the church for the work of the ministry. Sunday morning is about building up the body of Christ, to share in the unity of Christ, and to celebrate the new life that we share in Christ. This right here is a celebration. So that as we go out into the community throughout the week doing mission together, we can come back and celebrate that with one another. That is what we are doing here. Look around you. Everybody just look around you. This is your church family. This is who you do life with. Proclaim the gospel together. Share and fellowship together. Gather together. Be missionaries in our city who scatter together. And, and this is the point right here. Following Jesus will cost you everything that you thought was important. But in that, even in that, we can still find rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both in our devotion to the scriptures and to the proclamation of the gospel. Even though we might lose everything, we can find rest and solace as we share and fellowship with the body of Christ. 
We can find rest as the body of believers gather with one another to lose everything together. If I'm going to lose everything, I want to lose it with you. And finally, in losing everything, we might realize we don't have a life to live anyways, so we may as well give it for the sake of others. As we scatter with one another to proclaim the gospel to a city who is desperately in need of the gospel. Let us pray. You know, Father, I'm, I'm so thankful for your church. For I know, Father, that if it were not for your church, I don't know if I would have ever heard the gospel the way that I heard it. I know that if it were not for those in the church, the, the other people who believe in you, Father, these people sitting here, my friends, my family, my loved ones, if it were not for them, I don't know if I would be able to take those times where I just feel like breaking and running and forgetting it all, but this is what the church is for. So that as we do mission together, we might be there for one another. And Father, I... I just pray that as a church that we, would, that we would catch this thing together, that we would ride this wave together, that we would celebrate together. We just we thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing right now, and what you promise for us in the future. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.